Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, awesome. So I've got one more reminder for you that this Sunday, September 18th at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, we are having our first ever superstar Awesome's Book Club Gathering. As a reminder, we'll be discussing Tabitha Carvin's amazing book. This is not a book about Benedict Cumberbatch, the joy of loving something, anything like your life depends on it. I have loved getting messages and getting tagged by superstars who are reading this book. They are sending me their highlighted passages, their notes. People are loving this book. I loved it so much too. I cannot wait to discuss it with our community. Again, this is for our superstar awesomes. The superstars are the ones who support us on Patreon. So if you'd like to join us on Sunday, September 18th at four o'clock Eastern time on Zoom to discuss this book, it's super easy to get signed up. Go over to patreon.com slash sort of awesome to be part of our first ever superstar awesome book club. And hopefully it will be the first of many. Now on to the show. It's September 16th, 2022, and Awesomes, I hope that you are ready to talk books and reading because I have here with me today our books and reading specialist, our regular Katie Proctor. Hi, Katie. How are you? Great. How are you, Meg? Doing great. Very excited about our conversation today, as I always am when it's time to talk books and reading. As you and I were kind of going back and forth and sharing some ideas and some books that we're going to talk about today, I just started getting that nerdy excitement just bubbling up in me. <laughs> Same. This list was really fun to make and it was hard, but it was really fun to make. So I'm excited to get to it. It was really hard for me to, you guys, sometimes when we talk books and reading with Katie, it's all about discovery. Katie is out there reading the books that are getting the buzz, the ones that we need to know about. She's helping us put together lists for the season ahead of what we need to be reading. But sometimes when Katie and I get together, we're talking nostalgia and books from our past. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about in our conversation today. Katie and I are going to share with you all the books that have really shaped who we are as readers, and therefore, as you know, the reading that you do really contributes to shaping who you are as a person. So Katie and I went way back in our way back stacks to find some of the books that have shaped us from the beginning all the way up to currently reading favorites. So Katie, I am so excited. Thank you for coming and talking books and reading with us again on Sort of Awesome. Thanks for having me. This is seriously the most fun. <laughs> oh, good, 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 good. Well, I'm Meg Teets, and this is Sort of Awesome. Welcome back, Awesomes, to the show that loves to support you in becoming smart, strong, and social. If you have been looking for amazing women to connect with and a community that is going to support you no matter what age or stage of life you're in, I'm really happy to tell you that you have come to the right place. And if you are enjoying Sorta Awesome, please make sure you've subscribed so that you never miss a new episode from us. And please do come and find us in one of our online communities. We love to say, that Sorta Awesome is not just a podcast, it's your community on the go. And the community part happens in our social media hangouts, especially in our Sorta Awesome hangout over on Facebook. 
there are almost 6,000 women who all identify with being an awesome and looking for the awesome in the everyday, supporting each other, helping to troubleshoot problems, making suggestions, asking and getting recommendations. It is truly the best place to be. So if you haven't joined us in the Hangout, come over to Facebook and search Sort of Awesome Hangout. We would love to have you join us over there. Well, Katie, before we get into the heart of our conversation today, which is this amazing book list, let's go ahead and start the show the way we always do with our Awesomes of the Week. If you're new to Sort of Awesome, Awesome of the Week is the moment in the show where we stop and talk about whatever it is that's making life a little bit more awesome right now. Whatever's bringing that extra gold sparkle, whether it's a book, maybe a TV show, a movie, a podcast, a product something that's bringing the gold sparkle to our days. Katie, what do you have for us this week? Well, I have a product for you, especially for those of us who are heading into flu season and maybe we're COVID. Our Mm -hmm. family got COVID a couple weeks ago and it was the worst. I don't even, we're all vaccinated and boosted and I don't even know how it was so bad, but it was bad. Yes. And something that saved us was liquid IV. It's an electrolyte drink mix. So it comes in a little pouchy, it's powdered. You stick it in your water. We found that it tasted better if you did it with ice water. Yes. For whatever reason, when it's like normal room temperature water, it's very salty. But we needed to be hydrated because that was the most important thing for all of us was to be hydrated. And so we used it a lot. It actually has a ton of vitamins in it too, like lots of B vitamins and C and all of that kind of stuff. So it was really good for us to just have while we were sick. And we were drinking probably two or three packs of it a day just to make sure we were hydrated. Our favorite um, flavor was the strawberry. We tried a couple of different ones, but the strawberry was our favorite and it just made COVID a little bit less terrible, although it was still terrible. (laughs) Yes, it helped out a bit. I have heard so many people say that they absolutely relied on liquid IV when they were battling COVID, like it came in clutch. We have a ton of electrolyte powders and stuff from various sponsor things, so I've never gotten it for myself, but When my parents had COVID at the beginning of the year, I absolutely sent over this huge target order with six supplies for them. And I put the liquid IV in there and they both were just like this huge. So yes, and you're right. Here it is. It's the fall. Kids are back in school. You know, the germs are being passed around, especially like for you, a teacher. Mm -hmm. Can't wait for the back to school, (laughs) you know. Good times. Yes, all the back to school germies that are going around. Get some liquid IV now. Mm-hmm. Keep up. it, yes. Keep it in your medicine cabinet, whatever. Get stocked up. Okay, thank you. We will put a link in the show notes for sure for where you guys can find Liquid IV. It's in a lot of places now. So. Yeah, we got ours at Target. I did a Target yeah. order too because I yes. was like, could not get off the couch, and I was like, this is what's going to happen today. Yes, absolutely. Thank goodness for our Target deliveries for yes. sure. <laughs> okay, well, I have this week for you, Katie, kind of a follow up and recommendation. Okay, so the last time that you were here. I was going on and on my awesome of the week. I was bragging on Rare Beauties mm-hmm. mascara. I can't remember the official name of it. Can I see it on here? No, it's not on the packaging. I brought props. You know, we always like to do props, yes. when we, especially when you and I are talking products. Yes, you've got your liquid IV. <laughs> so this is the mascara from Rare Beauty. I was telling you how much I absolutely loved it. Still do. I am crazy about this mascara. So I had to make an order to get some more from Sephora is where I get it from. And while I was there, I was like, while I'm here, why not pick up a new lipstick, right? (laughs) That's very on brand for you. (laughs) It is very on brand. It's what I do. 
And I got another one of the lipsticks from the Sephora brand lipstick line, which I feel like are so underrated because the these lipsticks are, I think part of it is like the branding is so weird. I don't know why they do this, but they call their store lipstick line hashtag lip stories lipstick, which is like a clunky name, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm not into the flow. name. It does not flow. It's part of the Sephora collection of makeup, the hashtag lip stories lipsticks. Every single one of these lipsticks that I've gotten, I have been so in love with. And Katie, they're only $9. Oh, that's good. Which is incredible. I mean, there are definitely drugstore lipsticks that are at a higher price point that I think you do not get as good of a lipstick experience. So the one that I picked up that I want to tell you about specifically that I'm wearing today. And it's beautiful Thank for everyone you. who can't see Megan, her <laughs> smile. <laughs> Thank you. This one is called Popsicle Lips. And this is their sort of raspberry red. So if you are looking for a red, but you don't want to go too dark, you don't want to go too severe. Maybe it's kind of like, I feel like this could be more of an entry level red for you. If you want something that's red, but it's got a lot of berry going on, it's a little bit lighter. It really does translate into like the feel of Popsicle Lips. When you're a kid and you eat a cherry Popsicle and your lips get all red. It's that same effect. This is part of their satin line of lipsticks. They also do mattes. I don't really like a matte. They dry out my lips quite a bit. But for a satin lipstick, this has so much longevity. I mean, it's not going to be an all-day lipstick for sure, but it stays for hours and hours without needing to reapply. It goes on so smooth and silky. I absolutely love it. And I feel like people don't talk enough about how amazing the Sephora collection, specifically their lipsticks are. Because again, at $9, experiment, pick up a tube and play around and see if you like it. So I'm bragging on this week, the Popsicle Lips shade, but they have, that's the other thing I love about it. They have so many shades. So if you're more of a nude or a pinky, now that we're getting into fall, you want something a little bit more fall-like, they've got you covered. So I love it. I'll have to go check those out. I'm definitely into it. Okay. Well, those are our awesomes of the week. And we always love to hear what is awesome in your life. So again, come find us in one of our social media communities. You can find us on Instagram at Sword Awesome Show. We would love to have you join us over there. I'll be sharing my popsicle lips over on Instagram this week for sure. And again, come find us in the Hangout. Not only do we talk about Awesome of the Week every single Friday, and I am always inspired by what the awesomes share for Awesome of the Week. We just share all kinds of things to support each other along the way in life. So again, go to Facebook, search Sorta Awesome Hangout, come and join us there. Katie, fire up the old reading talk engines because we have got a lot to cover today. We're going to get to our books that shaped who we are when we come right back. Hey friends, most of us know that one of the biggest challenges in our modern era is simply canceling a subscription that you no longer want. I was reminded of that the other day when I decided it was finally time to cancel Sirius XM. I've had it for years. I hardly ever use it. And I know I'm not the only person who finds myself in this position. 80% of people have subscriptions that they either don't use or they forgot about. That's why I love using Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. This app is one of my favorite discoveries in the past few years. I use it all the time. The app itself shows you all of your subscriptions in one place and they cancel what you don't want 
for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. If you have teens like I do, it's kind of funny how those mystery subscriptions just show up in your bank account, right? You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. So you guys cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash awesome. Seriously, you guys, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash awesome. Okay, we are back. And Katie, as you and I were kind of talking about this concept, what are the books that shaped who we are? I really do think that primarily, once you start thinking about the books that were really important early in life, these are kind of our formative reading experiences, right? Yeah. And as a teacher, you have the joy and the privilege of seeing that come to life for your students. I mean, I can only imagine how incredible that is. I do. That's my favorite thing is putting books into the hands of kids who I know are going to love them or they're going to connect somehow. So that's my favorite part of teaching. Now you teach fifth grade, is that right? Yes, fifth grade. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking as I was putting my list together, some of the most formative books were when I was like fifth and sixth grade, really. Of course, children, our parents maybe are reading to us, grandparents, teachers are reading to us, and those are really important. But I feel like by the time you're in fifth grade and you're kind of starting to pick your own books based on your own interests, it's really such a magical time. Yes, the choice thing is huge. And I love to give my kids as much choice as I can. I yes. want them to read widely and read we know what they want to read. And so giving them the choice is really powerful for them. So. So great. Well, let's start right there. Let's start in our childhood years, maybe even stretching on into the teen and young adult years. Katie, get us started with this conversation. And I'm so looking forward to, and I know you will be too, hearing from the awesomes, like what were their formative books when yes, they were I really younger. want people to think about that because it's a really fun exercise. And yes. looking back is always good. So this was really fun. I hope people join us in this. Yeah, so great. Okay, get us started with what were the big books that shaped who you were when you were a child and on into some of the young adult selections? Okay, so I have one that I know we share a mutual love for, and I'm so excited. And this is an entire series, and it's The Babysitter's Club, because who didn't read The Babysitter's Club? <laughs> I feel like I read every single Babysitter's Club book ever published. I did not read the Little Sister ones. I think I was too old by that point when I found them. But I had this uncle who would bring us a $50 Borders gift card every Christmas, oh, right? Borders. And oh my $50 gosh. was big in the 90s. So yeah, it was. We could go to Borders and stock up on 10 or 12 Babysitter Club books. And that was usually what was going on. I would just go to the shelf and find all the ones that I didn't have and pull them off. And that was the best thing at Christmas time. So I would load myself up with all of those. My favorite ones were like the thick, super special mystery ones. They were so good because you got like extra. I loved that. I, Marianne and Logan were like, you know, hashtag relationship goals for yes. me. Like a young tween. I was like, oh, I need a Logan in my life. The OTP one true pairing of the babysitters universe. Absolutely. Yes. So, and I'm really happy to say that they're making a comeback now because they're making yes. these graphic novels and my eight-year-old has read every single one. She loves them. So oh, that's so good. I find out that I'm still talking about Stacy and her diabetes and Claudia and mm -hmm. her art and all of the Marianne and Logan drama with her, which is so much fun. So yes. Babysitter's Club were definitely the books that turned me into like a voracious reader. Like yes. I mean, they could just go through a book and then pick up the next one right away and go through another book. So yes, 
what a gift Anne and Martin gave us with that series. And you're quite a bit younger than me. Like, um, I remember going to the bookstore also and just being, I remember my aunt is the one who got me started and just kind of like put the box set of the first five in my hands. And I was absolutely hooked after that. So, oh my goodness, such a moment in time to go to the bookstore and load up on the paperbacks. <laughs> right? Border, borders is no longer a thing. <laughs> no. Walden Books, that's where we used to go mm-hmm. to in the mall. And, oh, okay. That, I love it. I almost put that on my list. I saw it on your list and I was like, okay, I'm going to let Katie cover Baby Center's Club. All right. What else do you have? So I also was a huge fan of the American Girl books. Now, when I was a kid, I think the last one before I kind of aged out was Addie. So I didn't, I had like maybe five or six American Girls. Now they have like a million and they have all these books and they're bigger chapter books and everything. But I had the brown box sets with the little skinny books and they Mm -hmm. had, everyone had a Christmas one and everyone had a whatever holiday one. But I still think about those books sometimes. Like I still remember Molly and her turnips and how she wouldn't eat them at the table. (laughs) So she had to sit there forever till they got cold and lumpy. Like, I don't know why that sticks out in my mind, but it does. And I read them over and over and over because they were short and quick and they had pictures. And I thought Samantha was so elegant and (laughs) sophisticated in her Victorian home with her grandma. And I really think that American Girl books really just made me love historical fiction. And that is a genre that I still to this day love just getting to hear from other people in different times. And I credit the American Girl books with my love of historical fiction. Absolutely. What a great entryway into historical fiction that was because the American Girl books really made the stories of history so relatable. And I think there are many, many, many readers, especially women who can look back, just like you said, and be like, oh, that's when I discovered historical fiction is such a thing for me. Yeah, that's a good one. And then the last one I had from my childhood is called Absolutely Normal Chaos by Sharon Creech. And this is one I think I've talked about before, but maybe not in great detail. But this one, I read it over and over and over. My sister and I just like passed the paper back and forth. It fell apart. I mean, it was destroyed. But it's about Mary Lou Finney. And she has a summer journal that she's writing. And she's chronicling this weird cousin who shows up from out of town. And he's kind of like this tall, lanky teenager. And she's not sure what to do with him. And so she's also reading the Odyssey for school. And so she's journaling about what's happening to Odysseus and then what's happening to her over the summer and what's happening with this weird cousin. And then she has this boy that she has a crush on and they were very cute together. They started hanging out at the pool and all the things. It was just very summery. I love the journaling part. I love the Odyssey part. It made me interested in mythology, made me want to pick up the classics. It was a good entryway into that. And it was just a really fun book. I actually read it, I think, last summer and it totally holds up still. Like some of those that you, I don't know that I need to go back and read Baby Stir Club books, but this one holds up. (laughs) And it's so good still. So I wanted to make sure I said that one. So that one's called Absolutely Normal Chaos. And it's by Sharon Creech. Okay. I don't think I've ever read that one. It sounds absolutely fascinating. Okay. Well, as I thought back on mine again, Baby Scissors Club was like so instrumental for sure. A couple of others came to mind and some of them I hadn't thought about honestly in a long time. And Katie, between our conversations on Sort of Awesome my past book conversations with various co-hosts and Laura Tremaine. Like, I feel like I've talked about every book possible that I've ever read. So some of these are going to maybe be like reviews, but I did think of a few that I'm pretty sure I've never talked about. And the first one is The Westing Game. Oh, I love The Westing Game. Right? That was by Ellen Raskin. It was the 1979 Newbery Award winner. 
And I know I've mentioned on the show before that when I was a child, we would go to my grandparents' house in Kansas City and stay for a couple of weeks every summer. And my grandmother would load us up and take us to the local library branch and we would just get armfuls of books. And that I remember specifically, this is one of those books I remember the details about where I was when I read it. The Westing Game, in case you haven't read it, although it is definitely a classic, but it's kind of the story of there was a character who had died and his name was Samuel W. Westing. And in his will, he basically left behind a fortune. But to get the fortune, you had to solve this game. And also one of the people who's gathered, there's like 16 people who are gathered together for this reading of the will and to participate in the game. But also one of them might be a murderer. (laughs) And I remember sitting in one specific chair in my grandparents' living room and just, this was my first page turner, right? Like this was the first, I just like could not put it down. And it kept me thinking the whole time. And I do think it formatively, as much as I always loved reading and would absolutely like fly through the Babysitter's Club books, this is the first one that I really felt like was more intellectually engaging because you're like kind of trying to solve the mystery as the pages unfold, as the story unfolds. So The Westing Game was really huge. Another one that is kind of dark for me, but, and I picked this up in the school library. I want to say I was fifth or sixth grade. I was definitely upper elementary when I read this. And it's kind of like, I don't even know if I would want my upper elementary kids to read it. (laughs) It's called The Road from Home. Okay. It's not really a very much talked about book, although it was the 1980 Newbery Award winner. It's written by David Curdian, I believe is how you say his last name. And it was the story of his mother's memories of the Armenian genocide in Turkey at the beginning of the 1900s, beginning of the 20th century, which is, I mean, that's pretty dark reading for a fifth or sixth grade kid. I picked this up in the school library. It had such a lasting impact on me. I have thought about that book. That book will just like come to mind just like through the years. The Armenian Genocide, obviously a terrible time in history, extremely brutal. Obviously, it was a genocide and the Armenian people leaving Turkey and being displaced in various countries around the region. But Katie, this one was so important to me because this is the very first book that I can think of that was like a window book for me. So as educators, as people who are into reading and books, we talk about mirror books where we see ourselves and our experiences reflected back to us. And we talk about window books where we're looking through the window to observe somebody else's experience. And this was completely so far removed from my little small town sheltered life in Oklahoma to read about the Armenian genocide. And again, not 100% sure it was a totally age-appropriate thing, but I read it. And that's the thing too, isn't it funny to think about, my parents never knew what I was reading. (laughs) They didn't check in. And now we're all like, okay, we got to make sure in common sense media that this book is okay for my kids. (laughs) Right? We were so free range when it came to reading. My parents had no idea I was reading about genocide. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. But I was, and but truly, such a powerful book, and I'm sure it probably does hold up over time because it's telling the story of this moment in history. The last one specifically that I wanted to call out was another kind of like coming of age moment for me as a reader, and that was Face on the Milk Carton. Oh, I love those, right? Yes. Yeah. So Face on the Milk Carton is by Carolyn B. Cooney. It came out in 1990. It came out when I was 13. And again, as we were kind of talking about, this is such a pivotal time when you're seeking out the books that are interesting to you. So The Face on the Milk Carton, in case you haven't read it or don't remember it, tells the story of a girl who back in the days when we used to have 
pictures of missing kids on milk cartons. And we used to be scared of shopping malls and weird strangers with vans. Yeah, I think it comes back to this book because in the story of the face on the milk carton, it tells the story of a girl who ultimately she sees her own face on a milk carton in her cafeteria, does some investigating and discovers that she thinks she might be the child who was kidnapped from a shopping mall when she was three years old. And so it kind of unfolds the story from there. But I remember reading this when I was 13. And this was kind of like one of the first books that was more like an issue book, right? I mean, the way the story is told is a little bit fantastical in in terms of it did cause a lot. (laughs) That was an era in time when we were all terrified of stranger danger and being kidnapped randomly. But it was like the first time that you see it through the eyes of, for me as a reader, through the eyes of a teen protagonist dealing with like a really serious issue of, was I kidnapped? Where did I come from? Who are my parents? And kind of working through that as a teenager and also trying to solve the mystery of why is my face on a milk carton? This is clearly me. So. Right. I love that one. And there were two sequels. I still have my three original. Oh, do you really? Yes. (laughs) I have them on the shelf. (laughs) That is so funny. Such a powerful book for me. And also, Katie, I would say this was the time in my life as a reader that I became a completist of an author's works. So when it comes to the Ramona books, Beverly Cleary's Ramona books, read them all. Judy Bloom books, as much as I could find them, read them all. I've talked about this on the show before, so I won't spend too much time on it. But Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Absolutely one of the most pivotal books in me understanding who I was as a young woman. And they've updated it. Did you know? Oh, no, I didn't know. She put out a new version of it and she got rid of some of the older belts for the yes. ads. She got rid of that stuff yeah. and kind of updated the language to around to what we do okay. now. Hey, so that's I fascinating. It, it sounds kind of fun to do again. Definitely. I've got to check that out. I don't know if you remember an author named Betty Renwright. She wrote mysteries, kind of like the Dollhouse Murders, Christina's Ghost, The Secret Window. Might have been a little bit <laughs> before your time. That was definitely the time in my life when once I found an author and I liked their books, I would just find all of them that I could read and just binge them. It was early binging, yes. right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I used to do that in my library too. I'd go, what do you have from this person next? I need to get to the next one. Yes. So, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So those are some of the ones that were really formative for us as we were, you know, children. Let's go ahead and kind of talk about some of the more like young adult, maybe even moving into college era for us. Um, As you think about that, what were some of the standout books for you? So I'm going to out myself and that I was a pretty big nerd in high school. because These three (laughs) books that I brought are very on the nerd scale. But my first one that stands out in my mind is the Iliad. And I read this in class with my ancient history teacher. He was amazing. He just made history the most fun of all. But I remember specifically, we were reading a portion of it aloud. There was like a small group of us. We had gone to like a conference room on our free period, like you do in high school. And we were reading the Iliad aloud to each other. And we got to the end part where the thing with Hector and his baby happens. And I, which if you know, you know, but This boy who was a freshman in high school, we were fully in the men must be strong and masculine. He started to cry about this part. And I just remember being like, this is why books are so important. Like they make us feel stuff. And nobody made fun of him. Yeah. It was just a moment where he was like, I need to take a minute because this is very sad. And so I remember that's a strong memory for me. Also, this 
reading the Iliad really cemented my love for mythology, especially Greek mythology. We've talked about mythology on here before and how much I love to go back and read those like retellings and all of that stuff. And this is where that stemmed from. So that was one of my more important ones. And then another one was Pride and Prejudice. And I did not read this for school. I remember picking up Pride and Prejudice and saying, I want to read this by myself. I'm going to do it. And it's kind of a struggle to get through some of the language in there if you're not familiar with older English. And so I remember reading it very slowly, but I loved every single minute of Pride and Prejudice. I still feel like it's just a perfect book. And I will hear no argument about that because I feel like (laughs) the way she crafted the story and everything just falls in place. And I just loved every single minute of it. So I think this one is the one that cemented my love for all things Victorian England and Right. I still love Downton Abbey, love Bridgerton, love all things set in that era. So yes, Jane Austen was a big one for me for that. And then the last one I thought of, which is another one that's kind of weird, but we read this one as a class too, is 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Oh, wow. And this book is a big chunky book. It's like 400 something pages. It covers this decades long family epic of this family. They are very dysfunctional. There's a lot of things that go on with them. But the magic realism in that book was the first time I had read magical realism. And I just fell in love with that genre through that book. So I went on to read more of his and lots of Isabella Allende (laughs) during that time and loved all of those. So those are my three that I thought about from high school teen years that really just kind of made me know what I liked to read and then gave me a footing to go find other things that were kind of like those. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's so great. It sounds like you had such a diverse experience with the selections that were even chosen for assigned reading. And I do feel like, um, and I guess probably some of this is a little bit regional. I feel like that when I was in high school, it was much more of the traditional canon of literature that was presented, certainly Shakespeare, but also like the sort of more predictable parts of both American and British literature. But I will say that when I was in college, as an English major in the late 90s, there was the tide was really beginning to turn and professors were selecting much more diverse choices for their syllabus, which then would translate to those of us who are going on to become teachers. We're also beginning to think like, what can we pull in that's outside of the canon for sure? Or how can we create a new canon, right? And whose voices are we missing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. To kind of just like dovetail on that, One of the most formative books, I will say, like when I was in high school, (laughs) you know, I was doing my required school reading and I've said this on the show before, but this was the era for me where I got super into books from Michael Crichton and John Grisham and just like, just like sort of pop fiction, Mm -hmm. right? That everybody's reading. You could find tons of them at the library or at the bookstore. I remember one summer specifically, I read a bunch of Michael Crichton books back to back to back because they had been out for a while. John Grisham in The Firm and some of his earlier books were just coming out when I was in high school. So I read a ton of pop, just what was the buzzing book at the time? And I loved them. I mean, it's very nostalgic to me to think back on those. My pop fiction guy was Dan Brown. When I okay, was yes. So, <laughs> and I still feel a little bit like weird when I read a Dan Brown book now, but I still think they're very fun. So. Yeah, they are. I mean, that's the thing. It's kind of a sweet time because that was before I started to get a little bit more, well, if everybody's reading it, then I'll I'll pass, (laughs) which is so dumb, but definitely kind of how my approach was for a while. 
it was such a fun time because like, not only was I reading them, but a lot of my friends, like we would pass the books around to each other. So like a little small group of friends of mine, we all read The Firm at the same time and talked about it, kind of like informal book club. (laughs) And I bet you felt very grown up about it too. (laughs) Uh, Very grown up because these were not young adult books. They were like adult fiction books. That was such a fun moment in time. But to go back to this idea of beginning to examine as the 20th century came to a close, kind of academically beginning to examine what are what voices are we leaving out of the traditional canon, especially when it comes to what is on course syllabus in, in university, but also what's being taught in classrooms. So one of the most pivotal books that I read during this time was Toni Morrison's Beloved, which I didn't realize at the time, but that came out the year I was born, came out in 1977. This was my very first ever Toni Morrison novel. And if you have a Toni Morrison novel too. Is it really? Yeah. Um, You know what? I think I was wrong. Let me fact check myself. It actually came out in 1987. I don't know. Somewhere I read 77 or maybe I just put that in my notes because (laughs) because I'm bad at, at numbers. But so if you haven't read Beloved, and it did later become a movie, but it is kind of about the story of a family of formerly enslaved people in Cincinnati. And the context for the story is that their house is haunted by a malevolent spirit. Um, Toni Morrison based the story of Beloved on a true story of an enslaved woman in Kentucky named Margaret Garner. She had escaped and she had fled to Ohio. She knew that they were coming after her and her family and that they were going to take them back to slavery in Kentucky. And so she was trying to kill her children. And by the time the U.S. Marshals got there, she had already killed her two-year-old daughter in order to spare them from being returned to slavery. And Toni Morrison took that true story that happened and kind of imagined a story around it in Beloved. And again, talk about a major window story in terms of this view on the absolute devastating and brutal realities of slavery and what would compel a mother to be so determined for her children to not experience that, that she would be willing to kill them. The way Toni Morrison imagines that in the spirit of beloved, it is so powerful, Katie. And that was probably the first fiction book that I can remember reading and thinking like, this is not just telling a story like Toni Morrison's prose is like poetry. I was blown away by the sumptuousness, even though the plot is so difficult and so challenging and so heartbreaking. Toni Morrison's writing is so, so gorgeous. Like you could just live in the pages of it. So I read this one about three years ago after okay. being coming a mom. And that yes. was... I feel like if I had experienced it before, I don't know that I would have had such a visceral reaction to it that I did, but it was a really tough book to get through and, but it's beautiful. So, so, so powerful. That was in my American novels class. And so the professor who was a number of years older than us, like 19 and 20 year old selves was beginning to think about like, how can we pull in these voices and these experiences into an American novel class? So which would have traditionally been more like The Great Gatsby, which we did also read in that class. And I've talked about Gatsby so many times. It's one of my favorite novels. And it poses an interesting question. Can you like a piece of art without liking the artist? Yes. I, like Scott Hemingway too. Yeah, Hemingway. Very problematic in their personal lives, but created some honestly great works of American literature for sure. So that was a beloved. Also during that time when I was in college, I got super, super into poetry, especially E.E. E. Cummings. Oh, yes whom I had first read when I was in high school, the first poem that I can really remember 
memorizing was an E.E. E. Cummings poem. And so I read the complete poems of E.E. E. Cummings. I had the book and I would just like highlight and star and do all of these things. So that was a very powerful time. I still love poetry to this day. I still love to sit down with a poetry collection. I feel like it's almost like a treat, like I don't do it enough. Well, yeah, I am the same way. I loved it as a kid and then took a really long break from poetry. And now I'm just kind of dipping my feet back into it. And it does feel like you have, it's like a little piece of candy. You can't read a whole poetry book in one sitting. Like you just have to, I read a couple a day and come back to it the next day. So yes. The other book that stood out to me, this was actually post-college. So as an English major, I read and wrote and read and wrote and read and wrote so much. And then I went straight from college into teaching high school literature. And so there was a kind of a span of time where I just didn't want to read. I was just like, just You're like I do this too much for my job. <laughs> yes. I'm just reading all the time. I didn't want to think critically about things anymore. I mean, I was doing it so much for both being a student and a teacher that it wasn't that reading lost its joy. It's just that it was work for me, right? I'm sure you can relate to on some level. But the first book that I rediscovered as a young adult, and this was definitely when I was quite a bit younger, like early 20s, was The Lovely Bones by oh. Alice Siebold. Have you read that one? Yes. I okay, like this one. I mean, it's rough, but I love yeah. it. <laughs> well, I, speaking of reading it before you have children, I think it would be very difficult for me to read now. Yes, I agree. I read it before kids too. So if you're not familiar with the story, The Lovely Bones, again, Alice Siebold, it's the story of a 14-year-old girl who is kidnapped, raped, and murdered. Why are all of my... <laughs> this is just what, the origin story me? of your, you know, true crime loving heart, I guess. <laughs> I've always had this dark streak as much as I love the light and fluffy stuff, I guess. <laughs> How does murder keep coming up? I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so the story, though, is she is observing from her own heaven, I guess you could say her afterlife. She's observing how her parents and friends are coping with her disappearance. And she knows she's dead, obviously, but they don't. And this is the first book that kind of reignited my joy of reading. I read this for a book club. It was my very first book club. And again, I was probably like 22, 23 when I read this. And I felt very sophisticated and grown up because I was in a book club. And I remember in this, and it was a pretty serious one. It was like one where you actually read the book. And, oh, not just like wine and cheese it, which right. is totally fine too. Totally <laughs> fine. Yes, get your wine and cheese and have your discussions. But this one was pretty serious with a couple of other teachers and, and some other friends of friends. And so, but it was like, you really got to read the book if you're going to come to the discussion. And this is such a nostalgic book for me, even though the material is dark, that I was just like, oh my gosh, I absolutely love reading and I love talking about books. And it just kind of, yeah, it lit the fire for me again. So. That's fun. That one stands out in my mind is that one of the first books that I read where you get like little pieces of yes. the story of yes. the like little clues until you finally figure out what happens at the end, I feel like. Right. And since then, those kind of books, I just love. If you yeah. give me a little bit every now and yep. then, I will just not stop till I'm done. So love that Absolutely. one too. Yes. Okay. Well, Katie and I have been having so much fun looking way back in the way back stacks. When we come back, we're going to kind of come up to current, like our current adulthood reading, some of the books that have shaped who we are as readers, and of course, how that reading shapes who we are as people. So we're going to get to our more current adult selections when we come right back. Hey, friends, let's do some grown-up chat. 
one of my favorite things is getting messages from our community where people are raving about a sort of awesome sponsor. Oh my word, I have been getting messages about the products from Foria. The awesomes have discovered that better sex starts with Foria, and you guys are loving Foria's Awaken Arousal Oil. What is the Awaken Oil? Well, it's like a tingly warm-up. It helps you get really turned on. It increases your pleasure and deepens orgasms with a partner or solo. Awaken uses CBD and warming, sensation-inducing organic botanicals that enhance arousal, sensitivity, pleasure, access to orgasm, and they help with any discomfort. Best of all, Awaken just turns you on. Foria has a serious cult following with tens of thousands of people, including an awesome who DM'd me to say that she was skeptical but curious about the Awaken oil because she and her husband had a good sex life. But, and I quote, OMG, this stuff is next level, end quote. And I'm happy to tell you that used together, Foria's Awaken Arousal Oil and the sex oil are the perfect combo for peak pleasure. Yes, you guys have my permission to try this. I fully endorse you to go ahead, treat yourself to more, to deeper, fuller pleasure wherever you can find it as often as possible. And you can start with a bottle of Foria. Foria is offering a special deal just for you awesomes. Get 20% off of your first order by visiting foriawellness.com slash awesome or use code awesome at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash awesome for 20% off of your first order. Again, I recommend trying the Awaken Arousal Oil and the Sex Oil together. You guys are going to thank me later. Okay, Katie, we are back and you have graced us with so many books and reading recommendations in your time here as our books and reading specialist and regular. So I know we've covered a lot of ground, especially with the more current books that really you are always reading the good buzzy books that people are into bringing those to us so we don't miss out on any of that. But let's kind of look at this adult time of our lives What are some of the books that stand out to you that really kind of shaped who you are as a reader and as a person? So I'm going to kind of back up a little bit to like college era because, you know, I left my hometown and went 10 hours away. And one of the things that I read in college that I believe was The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants and that by Ann Bersheris. And that one has, it's just a fun summary kind of book. There's four friends. They have these magical pair of jeans that fit everybody, even though they're varying sizes. And they kind of go their separate ways for the first time in the summer and they send each other letters and packages and you get to know all of the four girls. And the reason this one stands out to me is because I read it with my sister and we were kind of sharing the books back and forth and have you read this one and have you read this one? And I think the very last one that she wrote was called The Final Summer or something. It came out when I was an adult and I remember reading it and talking to her about it because those characters were beloved to us, all four of those girls and all the things that they had gone through and all their friendships and stuff. And so that series, I really loved that one. And then another one that I read in college for a class was called The Hurried Child. And this book came to mind really quickly when I was thinking about this list because I wasn't a parent yet when I read it, but it has informed a lot of my parenting choices years later. Because this book is called The Hurry Child Growing Up Too Fast Too Soon by David Elkin. Now, I haven't read it since I was a baby freshman or junior in college. And so I didn't know anything about the world as far as privilege and all of that kind of stuff. So I don't know how much this book holds up today. And I know that there's an updated version. And I want to say that I have not read that one. But 
What I got from this book was that when we push kids too fast, pushing down kindergarten standards, make sure they're reading by the end of kindergarten, and we're putting kids in competitive sports and competitive music and competitive all these things, we're just hurrying them too much and we're not giving them enough time to play and be kids and all that kind of stuff. And so that book really, even before I was married and even before I even thought about having kids, that book really has shaped a lot of what I do with my own kids and letting them have a lot of free range playtime, a lot of creative time, because I just don't want them to miss out on the fun parts of childhood. And I feel like our culture now is like just too much of too much. <laughs> so that book really stood out for me. And I read it for a class in college and one of my teaching classes. And that was a really good one. So that is a book that I can remember. I have not read that one, but I remember seeing that on my mom's nightstand. She read that when she was like in the parenting, in the trenches of parenting. My mom loved, loved, loved nonfiction and self-help books. And when we get to my list here in a minute, I'll share some of mine too. I love it. I love a nonfiction. My mom loved that genre to this day, bookshelves in their house packed with all of those. But I do remember her having that. And I do think that that was something that parents, even when I was obviously still at home, parents were thinking about and kind of in a meta way already in the 90s, kind of starting to think about what is all of this that we're doing to our kids? How is it changing who they're becoming? And the concept of it, the hurried child, hurry, 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 get through these fundamental stages. And yeah, so apparently not just for teachers, but for parents too, it was a really important exploration of that. So, And then kind of like your Lovely Bones experience where you had been reading for college and you've been reading for your classes. I, in college, read A Prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving all by myself. No one assigned it to me. My mom had said she really liked it. And I was like, I'm going to pick this up. And that book, it's just so lovable. I don't know. Owen is just this singular character who I've never found another character like him in any other book. If you haven't read Owen Meany, it's about these two boys that are good friends. Owen has, he was born with like a bone defect. So his, I think it's like osteoporosis or osteogenesis imperfecta or something. So he's very small. He has a strange voice, but he becomes best friends with this boy. And that boy is the one telling the story. And you see them from their childhood all the way up until adulthood. And I just remember that was one of my first things that I read as a young adult thinking, I am reading a really important book. You know, and as I was turning the pages, just thinking, this is really good. Just knowing that the writing was really good, knowing that that character development was really good not trying to rush through it, but just like savoring that reading experience. And I can remember, like you said earlier, exactly the room I was sitting in when I was reading that book and just I remember sobbing at the end and hugging it to my chest. And just, it's just one of my favorite reading experiences of all time. So I know so many people would count that on a book list mm -hmm. of the books that shaped them, who they are as readers and people. That is such a beloved classic for sure. Modern classic. Yes. Okay, so as I start to think about books I've read kind of in the more recent era of life, I decided to put the cutoff at age 30 because <laughs> I'm 45. So let's just kind of look back on the past 15 years, books that have really shaped me. I'm going to kind of group some of these together. I definitely, shortly after I turned 30, started reading a lot more like religious or spiritual essay kind of books definitely nonfiction. So the first of those that I would say, and I know I have talked about this, but it's been years ago, is Shane Claiborne and Chris Haas' book, Jesus for President. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. 
Okay, this came out in 2008. Shane Claiborne is still a very active author and speaker and kind of thought leader in a movement that is really about separating our spiritual life from our political life, but kind of separating it, but then also looking at the intersections of it. This was such a powerful book for me. This came out in 2008. I read it right when it came out. This was the year that Barack Obama was elected president in our country and kind of certainly there have always been rumblings of tension between your spiritual practice and political beliefs and how you vote and those types of things. But 2008 was like an explosive year for that as people began to grapple with what different political parties here in the United States, political parties and candidates stood for and how they voted for things that were both in alignment maybe with your spiritual ideas or not. And so Jesus for President, even though the title's very provocative, it's literally not about that. Of course, it's about kind of looking at the idea that we both live in a political system, but that if you, whatever your spiritual faith may be, that you're called to something else, to hire things to really examining what your spiritual text, in this case, obviously Christianity, specifically what Jesus in the context of when he was alive and how he interacted with the politics of the time. This was like a really, really incredibly eye-opening, paradigm-shifting book for me. Um, So yeah, that was one of the first of like this trilogy of spiritual writings that I read. And again, that was in 2008. I also, a couple of years after that, read Brendan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel, which Brendan Manning has since passed on, but he was a former Catholic priest who struggled with alcoholism and through many years came to realize that everything is about grace. And that was so formative to me coming from a religious background, a spiritual background that was very much about following rules. And if you mess up, then you're a bad person. And honestly, lack of grace, I think, in my growing up understanding of Christianity and reading Ragamuffin Gospel, and Brendan Manning wrote several others, and I think that they're all fantastic. But that was my first experience of like really, really being just like wowed by somebody's vulnerability and sharing how their real life struggles, again, his struggle with alcoholism and how that impacted and how he saw God and all of those things. Such a great book. And then Sarah Bessie, my dear friend, Sarah Bessie, her book, Jesus Feminist, was a Another hugely, hugely powerful and paradigm shifting book for me. I love Sarah so much as a person and I love her writing. I think many people can count at least one of her books as being a formative book for them. But Jesus Feminist was for sure the first time that I began to try to like figure out how do my ideas about women and the experience of womanhood, how does that align with spiritual faith? And so that kind of like little trilogy there. A couple of other nonfiction ones that I got really into, Ali Broch's Hyperbole and a Half and her webcomic and then her later writings on depression, along with Jenny Lawson's books. Oh, I love Jenny Lawson. She's totally. so funny. She's so her. funny. Starting with Let's Pretend This Never Happened, all of her books are so powerful to me because again, that vulnerability factor in being really real and talking about the realities of mental health and mental illness, but also she does it in such an incredibly funny way, but also so poignant. It's she's not just a comedic writer, no, but her like comedy. Magical. Yeah. Yeah. The way she writes is hilarious, but there's not a limit there. It's also when she is talking about the difficult things is so heartbreakingly powerfully poignant. So those were hugely formative to me as well. 
And then I'm just going to have to bring it back full circle because as an adult, (laughs) I still have this tendency to be a near completist with the authors that I get into. I love it. So of course, Rainbow Rowell. Oh yes, your love for Rainbow (laughs) Rowell is unmatched. (laughs) Undying love for Rainbow Rowell and for her works. I've read them all, except I still haven't read Landline. I can't make myself do it. I keep saying, this is the year I'm going to do it. Okay, I have a confession that the only one I've read of hers is Eleanor and Park. Okay. So I need to figure out the next one. I would say if you've read Eleanor and Park and you liked it, I think you should read Attachments next because... I think Eleanor and Park broke my heart though. I think that's why I was like, I don't need to read any more of her. She makes me sad. (laughs) I guess I... Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no, no, Katie, no. I I insist. (laughs) You either need to read... Yeah. You either need to read Attachments, which is very sweet and has some difficult stuff in it, but so sweet and lovely or Fangirl, which is amazing. amazing. Basically written about you. <laughs> yes. Got it. <laughs> An imagination of like, what if I went to college in this modern era? That, that would be me for sure. But also, like Emily Henry, mm-hmm. Taylor Jenkins Reid. I read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo back in 2017 when it first came out, and I was absolutely captivated by it. Katie, I don't think you're on TikTok as much as I am, but in the past couple of years, that book has had this huge resurgence on book talks. It's like, so good. It's, it's so, good. so good. I think I read it when it came out too, in the middle of nursing. Yes. Time. So yes. It's one of those books that allowed me to like embrace, like I really like women's literature. Mm-hmm. So often it's kind of like, oh, that's chick lit or whatever. But I feel like these authors and Emily Henry, I think is in the same category. They really elevate. There's plenty, like I'm missing plenty, but those are some that come to mind that I've read a lot of. They really elevate that genre of women's literature. Also, Christina Lauren, who is a, they're a romance writing team. Their books are so fun, spicy, fun, great plot, so easy to read. So once I found Christina Lauren books, I just started Eating a bunch of them. I love her. Have you read Love and Other Words? Because that's my favorite one of theirs. No, but I need to get to that one. It's so good. And it's more YA because they're teenagers. So I think you'll, it's definitely up your wheelhouse. I think you would love that one. Love it. Love it. Okay. I have one more I want to talk about, but I want to hear some more of the ones that have been influential for you in your sort of adult reading. Okay. So to go off of your spiritual stuff, Inspired Slaying Dragons, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again by Rachel Held Evans was. One of the first ones that I read about deconstructing your faith and kind of looking at things a different way. And I love that she talks about it being okay to ask questions. And that was something that I think a lot of us who grew up, you know, in the evangelical world, we weren't allowed to ask questions, right? This is the way it is. This is the truth. This is the only way. Everything was in black or white. And her just saying it's giving us permission to ask questions and to look at things differently. And what I love what she does with this book is that she looks at the books of the Bible as the genres that they were written in. So as an English teacher, you know, I'm like, oh, this is my jam, right? She like looks at songs as poetry and she looks at other ones as letter, you know, the epistolary books. And what is the function of that genre? What was the author trying to do in that time? So I love how she kind of goes back to that context. That one was really instrumental for me. And since then, I read the rest of her list. I read all of Sarah Bessie's stuff. I've read all of Jen Hattie. I mean, that book kind of just pushed me into reading all of those people in that kind of realm. And it has been really, really a good journey for me. So that one was Inspired by Rachel Held Evans, which I love. 
And then another one who I know we all share love for Brene Brown, but Daring Greatly is probably my favorite of hers. I've read them all. But this one was really the part where she talks about really sharing yourself and being vulnerable and who gets to get your story and who maybe doesn't and how to know who's safe to share with and who's not and how when you're vulnerable and you make connection, that's how you make community and all of that. And so this book, I read it as a young parent. So five years ago, probably. And I just remember thinking, this is really a parenting book. It's like how to lead your family well and um, connect with them and how to have a long lasting relationship with your family, where I know some of us have feelings about our (laughs) families of origin, but she just talks so much about how to make that connection. And I love that her main message is that everybody matters. Everybody has a story. Everybody's story matters. And even if you're not famous and had all this stuff happen, like the things in your life that are important to you are important and you should own those and you should be able to share them. And so I love that. That's daring greatly how the courage to be vulnerable transforms the way we love, live, love, parent and lead is the subtitle. And that's Brene Brown. So that one was really formative for me. For some, I don't know, this isn't new fiction because this is way backlist, but the Guernsey Literary Potato Peel Pie Society. by Mary Ann Schaefer is another book that I just remember hugging at the end. And this was my very first epistolary novel. So this one's written in letters. And I don't know if you've read this one, but it's World War II. There's like the secret book society. They're sharing food with each other. They're kind of sneaking around because their island is occupied by the not nice people. And this reporter after the war is finding out what happened to these people. So she's kind of writing back and forth and she's learning the story. And I just remember thinking the way this lady crafted this book in purely letters, like there's no just informative paragraphs about what's going on. It's all in letters. You get such a sense of place of this island, this channel island. You get such a sense of what was happening to them during the war and how it was being occupied. And I just like loved it. And that is one of my very favorite World War II books. And I've, I've read a lot of them, but that one stands out as one of my very favorites. And then the last one I did want to talk about that I didn't put on my list was Is Homegoing by Yad Jesse. And that one is a more recent read. And that one I heard about, I think from either Kelly or Laura. One of them talked about it on Sword Off. I do I believe it was Laura. If I'm I hadn't correctly. heard about it before. And I remember getting it. And this book is one of the most unique books I've ever read. It is eight generations of people. So you have these two sisters and one of them is sold into slavery to go to America and one stays in Africa as the wife of a white slave trader. So we get to see their generations. And I, at first you're kind of like, wait, I don't get to hear about this person again because each person only gets their own chapter. And then the next time you hear from this family, it's the next generation. So But the way that she tells the story of these two generations of people and all their descendants eight generations out was incredible. From a writing standpoint, I was like blown away by the structure and how she managed to pull this off because really you only get a little bit from each person before you move on to the next one. And I just remember that's a really, really powerful book that I have not stopped thinking about. So I wanted to talk about that. Yeah, so good. So good. Again, just like, How incredible. What a gift for all of us that we can explore these stories in context that we would never have access to without books. The last book I want to talk about that has just been so formative to me as a person, as an adult, that is a very recent read of mine that I know that you love too, is Richard Rohr's Universal Christ, which we had talked about. If you guys don't know, Katie and I did a whole 
episode in our sort of spicy series for our superstars, our Patreon supporters, where we talked about the books that really were our journey through spiritual deconstruction and coming to terms with a new outlook, a new view on faith. I know Richard Rohr is important to you, Katie. And this book was so, so formative to me. And I think it's important to say that even as we like get older, like we're still being formed, right? Yes, exactly. The books that we read still form our viewpoints and our understandings of things. And this one was so powerful for me because he writes so powerfully and so beautifully about a concept that I just have always like felt like internally, like intrinsically to be true one line from it, one like sort of like the driving force behind it is that God loves things by becoming them. And so he takes this concept of Christ, not looking at that word as like, was that Jesus's last name? (laughs) But he takes the concept of Christ, of incarnation, of Christ being in everything and everyone, everywhere we look, that we can see this message of love and incarnation from God. It has been absolutely revolutionary to me. I love it so much. It's probably if I was like looking back on the most important books I've read in my life, it would be on that list for sure. I love that one. Yeah, I love him. I have another one of his on my shelf that my mom gave me for Christmas that I need to read. Good. I think it's interesting that as we got older, more of our formative books were nonfiction. Yes. Absolutely. We still both read a lot of fiction, but the ones Mm -hmm. that are forming us now are more nonfiction, which is interesting. It is. It is. And that is so true for my life. So Katie, if people want to talk books with you, I know that you are always talking books on Instagram. So remind us where we can find you over there. At Katie Proctor Writes and Reads is where I hang out the most. And I love being on Instagram. So come talk to me about all the things. Love, love, love your reading stuff over there. And just as a reminder, Katie's also an author. We always like to put links to your books in the show notes so people can go and read their Katie Proctor books and share those with the people in their lives, the children in their lives. You're a great middle grade author and I'm excited for what's coming next for you, you. ma'am. November 15th. November 15th. Okay. Is there a pre-order link on it already? Not yet. I don't know what's going on. Okay. Publishing is kind of slow right now. That's okay. You just... We'll work on it. (laughs) Yes. You keep up with Katie on Instagram and you will not miss that for sure. If you want to find me on social media, also Katie's in our hangout group and our superstars group, all of that. So you can find Katie there. If you want to find me on social media, you can find me at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find this show at Sorta Awesome, just wherever you are on social media. Look us up. We would love to see you there. Give us a hashtag if you're talking about us on social media so we can come and find you. Katie, as always, thank you so much. This was so fun and just filled my heart with such happiness. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Love it. Love it when you're here. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see y'all next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.